0: them, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Complain, 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 complain. Do you ever have days when you just complain about everything? No matter what anybody says to you, you complain. You don't want solutions, you don't want help, you don't want to fix it. What do you want? You want to vent. You just want to fuss. You just want to point out the negative, of course. I'm thinking, of course, not of anyone in this church, of course, but I'm thinking of Gideon, him from the book of Judges that we just read from. However, his story of complaint may sometimes be our story. And so let's see here what we can learn. I'm in. Uh the scripture lesson which is on page three, and if you want to follow that, I'll be referencing verses along the way. When we meet Gideon, he's in a wine press. This is kind of like a wooden barrel for crushing grapes, and maybe as small as perhaps sixty gallons, and maybe as large as perhaps three hundred gallons. In any event, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, a most remarkable statement, a kind of pokey statement. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, that's really funny because he's hiding in a wine press on his own property. Mighty man of valor. And Gideon in verse 13 complains about oppression. He asks the question, why? Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? And where are the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. His complaint in a nutshell is back then in the good old days, we had success. But now in the present where I live, we get bullied and pushed around. Why the difference? And the answer to that is a very interesting one. The Lord commissions him. Verse 14, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. You know, I think that one reason that many people do not pray is because if they talk to God and complain about things in their life, God by his spirit might open up to them that the solution to their prayer is them. There's a wonderful cartoon in religious publica- publication some decades ago. One of them was a cartoon about a frog named Pontius Puddle. He was a frog and he lived on top of this uh, water lily, and he would pontificate about a variety of topics. One time he's talking to a fellow frog and complains, "I ask the Lord why there is hunger in the world and disease." Etc. I mean Lord why don't you do something about it and the other frog asked, and what did the Lord say? The Lord said to me The Lord said to me he asked me the same question Why are these things in the world? His complaint leads to a call to service. There's a problem you're complaining about Then you be the solution to that problem act one of this four-act story is the question why and surprisingly the answer to that is you act two is the question of how verse 15 gideon says but please lord how can i save israel behold my clan's the weakest in manasseh and i'm the least in my father's house in other words I lack the necessary credentials, the necessary resources. You want somebody more gifted, more talented, richer than me. He's really saying here what Moses uh, said to God years earlier, here am I, send Aaron. For example, I always love the story about uh, the feeding of the 5,000's recounted in John chapter six. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, There is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? In other words, he assesses what his resources are. He concludes that his resources are inadequate to the problem, and so he abandons trying to solve the problem. There's two ways which we can understand this how question. There's the how of Zachariah, and there's the how of Mary. Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, was told he would be the father, the forerunner of the Christ, and he says, how can this be? It's a how of doubt. On the other hand, Mary, just a few verses later, is told she will be the mother of the Messiah, and she asks the same question, how can these things be? But it's not a how of doubt, it's a how of amazement. Wow! I wonder how God's gonna pull that one off. The one comes with an optimism, the one comes with a pessimism. The one comes with a movement forward, the one comes forward and says, why bother doing anything? There's that how question. I'm reminded of a priest one time who was engaged in a building program. They had had the focus groups, they had met with the different organizations in the church, they had crafted a building plan for a substantial Uh, enlargement of the church and improvement of things and they knew that the plan was going to be presented soon to the congregation one Sunday the minister got up and he said to the people I have some good news and some bad news the good news is that we have all the money we need for the new building program well that was a surprise they burst into applause they hadn't been asked yet and here they have enough money he said well the bad news is that that money is still in your pockets. You know, it's a question about how and how we understand the resources God has given. How are you going to do that? And I have to confess, this is where I, as a priest, get depressed and fearful. Because I come up and I see things that need to be done, but I don't know how to move forward. And like Andrew, I said, well, here's my resources, but they're just inadequate for this particular calling, and then I quit. I remember years ago serving uh, as youth pastor at a church in Montgomery, Alabama. Our church went to and served as, don't be offended by the language, it was the language this institution used for itself. There was in uh, Montgomery a thing called the retarded village. That language was not considered impol- uh, impolitic in its day. Uh, but. They also bought a YMCA that had moved and they bought their facility and they had daily programs and they had big programs, they had a swimming program. But we our youth group volunteered to help do the, Chris, uh, the Halloween program for these people. And I thought, well, that's a good thing. You know, our kids are gonna enjoy that. So we kind of did some planning and stuff. But I arrived an hour and a half before the kickoff of the program, which was six, to eight, and I got there at, you know, 4.30, and I picked up one kid, and we walked, and we had four boxes, and we walked in, and the woman met us, and she said, now this is our place, and you know, we got nice lighting here, we got the kitchen over here, you can have food service there. Uh, I'm up this hallway with two other gals, and if you need us, come and help us, and she turned and walked away. It was the most depressing moments of my life. I just thought, we are going to crash and burn. I don't know how to do a party. I don't know how to do a party for this clientele. And the guy looked at this guy and he kind of shrugged his shoulders. And we sat there and I would have despaired, except I knew that in three and a half hours, the clock would eventually hit eight o'clock and I'm out of there. Well, golly, uh, four gals from my youth group came walking in. They had some boxes. They looked around and said, This room is great. It was a double gymnasium with seats coming down, they said, this is perfect. And we get, and they started unpacking their box and they got their black and uh, orange crepe and they twisted it up and they hung it and they had posters they had made. Some other girls showed up and they had Halloween decorations. We had costumes for all everyone that showed up and gave costumes to one another. The biggest hit was the cakewalk that they had these big uh, 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 plaques where they put down first, second, third base, and then home. Run And we had a music, we played Boris Karloff's The Monster Mash for two hours and uh, you know they would stop it and everybody won a prize, you know. The only thing we ran out of was food uh, that we gave the kids the food if they won, you know, in the cakewalk. And so our kids were very creative. They simply stole the food back from the kids we gave it to and then gave it to them again. And they didn't know the difference. They were laughing, they were having a good time. So everybody lived happily ever after. We had one gal who was played a gypsy. She was a wallflower. And I thought, you know, this girl has nothing to offer here. And she showed up in this Romanian blouse with this vest and it was all decorated. And she had her uh, makeup done with very you know dark eyes and uh, she was going to be a fortune teller and she told fortunes; did a great job i brought one kid who had no arms uh, he walked barefoot because he could pick up stuff with his feet but he came there and she was said well you know we want to read your fortune uh, give me your hand and let me see your uh, i'll read your fortune and i'm thinking oh my gosh and the kid didn't think anything he just picked up his foot and put his foot up on the table and she says Well, look at this, you have some wonderful lines. I'm going to tell your fortune. It was fun, it was funny, it was joyful, it was affirmative. And when the whole thing was over, we had a big circle, and we held hands, and we sang two hymns, and we had a prayer for everyone and for special people. I went around and anointed them with holy oil, and it was a great evening. And the woman who ran the program came out, and she said, you know, Youth groups come and volunteer for us all the time. And they're well intended, but they don't usually do a very good job. I've been here for six years. This is the best program we've ever had. Thank you. And I just thought about how I was so fearful. And if I could have rolled back time and said no to it, I would have. But the Lord pushed me forward. I looked at my resources and said, I can't do it but the Lord gave his resources. Look what he says in verse 16, and the Lord reassured Gideon of help, I will be with you. And that's the greatest resource we have. The greatest resource we have is the Lord is with us. We say that every Sunday in the peace, don't we? The Lord be with you. What a blessing that is. I recently read Eric Metaxas's book for a second time. Uh, Amazing Grace, subtitled, The William Wilberforce and the Heroic Campaign to End Slavery. There's a wonderful quote here. On the 24th of February, 1793, a tired 88-year-old man wrote William Wilberforce, quote, Unless God has raised you up, I see not how you can go through with your glorious enterprise in opposing this execrable villainy you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God is with you, who can be against you? Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God. Go on in the power of his might, till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall be banished away before it." And one week later, that 88-year-old man was dead. His name was John Wesley, and this was the last letter he ever wrote. And what resource did he give to Wilberforce? The Lord is with you. The complaint in Act Chapter Two is how, and the answer is the Lord is with you. That is always our greatest strength. Act Chapter uh, Act Three raises the question of who, Gideon doubts. Is it really God who's speaking to me? Or is this just my own fervid imagination out of control? Verse 17, Gideon says, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. And then Gideon makes an offering, a present of some cakes and a a kid to be offered. And then they come down and they are consumed by fire, there's the miracle, and he is reaffirmed. I've read the commentaries on this, and I've asked the question, was this a good thing or a bad thing that he asked for a confirming sign of God? And half the commentaries say, no, this was a bad thing, and half say, no, that's a very legitimate thing. Whether it's good or not maybe isn't the final point. The final point is, as C.S. Lewis says, God condescends. our maturity sometimes when we ask for a special sign maybe that's right maybe that's wrong but sometimes God gives it to us anyway God walks with us as with a toddler and he lets us know it is I Act chapter 4 addresses the question why me in verse 22 Gideon says alas for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face What is Gideon's response here before the miracle, before the calling, before the task that's set before him? Is it amazing? It's humility. This why me isn't poor me, why me? I'm being called to do this. Rather, it's why me? I don't deserve this kind of grace in my life. It's a profound sense of unworthiness. It's the first sign of a true religious experience, this sense of unworthiness before God. All religious experiences ultimately have that nuance of not deserving. Isaiah in the temple says, woe is me for I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. Peter in today's gospel says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. John on the island Patmos says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why me is here not an expression of complaint, but a confession of humility. Why should I receive such a blessing? You know, I've known I wanted to tell this story to this congregation because it happened in Springfield. Uh, Forty-four years ago, while a, se- well, a seminarian Uh, I served a summer here at St. John's Roman Catholic Hospital in the clinical pastoral education program, 12 weeks for that summer. Uh, We did visitations, we learned things, mostly we did visitations in the afternoon. Every six weeks, that meant three times that summer, I served as a chaplain for the ER room over the weekend. And on that occasion, I would spend the night at the hotel, I was reading a book, the phone rang, it was the ER nurse, she said, is this the chaplain on duty? I said, yes. She said, could you come down here? We have an emergency. So I got dressed and came down. I had my black shirt, my white collar, but I had a little black tab on the collar, and the black tab means I'm not ordained yet. It was a sign for the people who knew, so nobody knew what it meant, but it was still there. And that black... Uh, I'm not ordained yet. So I got dressed and I went down and she was waiting for me. She said, you're the chap. And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, we have a little 11-year-old boy in here and he's in crisis. I said, yes, ma'am. He said he was out water skiing with his family. His grandfather ran over him with a ski boat. It was a mistake, he meant to go forward. He ended up going in reverse. The boy's t-shirt got caught in the blade. The blade cut three or four ribs. Uh, His lung, his one lung is filled with uh, lake water and blood. And I said, okay, I can pray for the young man. She said, well, prayer is good, but I need you to do something. I need you to talk him into wearing his oxygen mask. His oxygen level is fallen." and we're gonna do a procedure and vacuum out his lung, but if he falls into a coma, we could lose him, he could die. So what I need you to do, is I need you to tell him to wear his mask. He won't do it for his mom, he won't do it for the doctor, he won't do it for me, the nurse, but he'll do it for a minister. And she turned around, she walked into the room. And I stood there thinking, oh my gosh. You see this little black thing here? I'm not the real deal yet. <laughs> but I walked in and, and, and there he was sitting on his bed. His legs were you know, folded like that and his arms were akimbo like this. The mask was on the bottom of the bed, Shhh, running. His mom was sitting over here. His aunt was sitting over here. The under, another nurse was there. So the ER nurse came in and she was standing next to me and they all looked at me as if to say, do it. And this boy was looking at me like saying, I know why you're here, and I'm not going to do it. And I thought, well, there's no reason to push back like that. And I looked around, and I always pray the same prayer when I go to the hospital. I always say, dear God, help me to help this person. I've been praying that prayer for 50 years. And I looked over, and I saw a T-shirt hanging over this one chair. Nobody was there. And you could tell it was the T-shirt for the kid because there's some motor oil on it and there was a lot of blood on it, but there was also about this big, a, a screen snap of um, Star Wars, which had just come out that summer. And I said, oh, you've been to see Star Wars? He said, yeah. And he, I said, I've seen it twice. He said, I've seen it seven times. I said, you're a big fan. He said, I'm a huge fan. And I said, aren't those such interesting characters? I mean, Princess Layla, I mean, and uh, there's a rumor that she might be related to one of the other characters. He said, Han Solo, they're gonna do that in the next movie. I said, well, that's interesting. And what about, uh, well, my favorite character is Dark Vader. He said, yeah, I love that guy. I said, he is, his voice is so good, you know, Han Solo. He said, they say he's his father. And I said, I've heard that rumor too. And And of course you could look at the mom and the nurses and they're all thinking, Okay, we're all enjoying the movie review, but the kid might be dying, so could we move on with the mask? And I walked over and I picked up the mask and I put it on and I said, Hans, I uh Luke Skywalker, I am your father. Come to the dark side. He goes, Yeah, that is so cool. And I was doing that and then he said, Well let me do it. I said, No, 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 you be you be Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'll be uh Darth Vader. And he said, It's my mask. And I said, well, I guess it is your mask, and I took it off and handed it to him, and he put it on, and in this little 11-year-old voice, he said, uh, look, Skywalker, come over to the dark side, I am your father, <laughs> and then he turned and he looked at his mom, and he said, okay, that's cool, <laughs> and I said, look, Jimmy, um, I understand you're going to have a procedure later on today, it's kind of a big deal, but I want to pray for you, and then Can I come visit you tomorrow? We'll talk more about the movie. I've heard some other rumors as well. He said, yeah, I'll be fun. So I anointed him with oil, prayed for him, and then I left the room. When I left the room, I went into this crowded hallway there in the hospital, and the ER nurse followed me up the hall, and she said, I've been an ER nurse for 20 years, and that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And this will prove to you how sinful I can be I turned to her and I said hey no problem Anytime you need some help just give me a call. (laughs) And then I went up to that beautiful chapel at the top of that building and I went and I remember exactly where I sat. I sat in the second to the last view on that side of the church and I knelt down and cried that I was used by God. That if it was up to Gideon Brad I would have stayed in the wine barrel and kept to myself. But God called me into a ministry that puts me into situations like that. And I simply don't have the resources to do what I need to do as a priest. But God is with me. And while I was sitting there thanking God, and this was not my miracle, I had nothing to do with it. I was an observer, just like everyone else in the room of God doing this. And this nun came over, and she sat down next to me, and she said, Are you okay? And I said, Oh, I'm more than okay. She put her hand on my knee, and she said, Peace be with you. That's what the Lord assures Gideon in verse 23. Verse 23. Peace, be with you. And we see that with one another every Sunday. Peace. And it was. It was that quaint, it was that Shalom way of life that we are to be with one another, that we care one another and we bring better things out. And God does that through one another. And God calls every one of us to these gideon moments, To step forward out of our fear and say, here am I, send me. And then step back and see the glory of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.